0: Every year, the Washington, D.C. FinTech Week I organize charts an agenda canvassing the regulatory ecosystem. And this year, we kept at it, going where no conference has gone before, covering issues as diverse as are stable coins really stable to venture capital after George Floyd. And as in every year to pull it off, we had to team up with other organizations and thought leaders to help us think through the issues and reach out to the nooks and crannies of the industry. Few people were more important in that ever than Brad Carr and Conan French at the Institute of International Finance. As world beaters in their own right, Brad and Conan hopscotch around the world covering many of the issues that are near and dear to me, and we've developed what can now be described as a tradition on this podcast, reflecting every year on what we learned at DC FinTech Week and at the IIF's big global annual conference, which falls a week before mine and coincides with the IMF and World Bank's yearly meetings. So buckle up, folks, as we try to give you the down and dirty review as we reminisce on the FinTech Weeks of 2020. Brad, Conan, it's so great to hear from you again. Obviously, all the talk is about the election, but I think it's hard to really do any of that and to get into to that stuff without first talking, uh, more importantly, about what were some of the big, major highlights that you guys saw and heard at IIF. Uh, Brad, what were you struck with? Chris, I think there were probably six big themes out of our
1: meeting, at least as far as, as digital and innovation goes, and I'll run through those quickly, and I might get Conan to elaborate on on some of them also. Uh, Look, firstly, digitalisation is all about the customer. Uh, There was a great emphasis from a lot of the industry leaders about the fact that you need to be customer-centric in your digital transformation and that COVID has really accelerated that focus. Uh, Alison Rose, the CEO of NatWest, she talked about how it's really been the investments in technology infrastructure made over the years prior to COVID that have suddenly really pay dividends, and that this year has not been about technology change. This year has been about the change in consumer behaviour and, and customers adopting a lot of the, the digital channels that had been built beforehand. Um, the other one I loved is a comment from Joseph Langerman uh, from Standard Bank in South Africa, and he talked about how where COVID has made us more customer-focused, he, he likened it in terms of, of customer empathy. And how it had really underlined and emphasised the need for everybody, including the staff in IT, to have uh, a great focus on customer empathy. Um, Second big theme for me was about international connectivity. And uh, and we had Ravi Menon uh, from the MAS kick this off with where he talked about the need for us to perhaps have a, a new Bretton Woods or a new WTO process for international digital flows and e commerce. And he talked about probably the absence of that, had the absence of international rules uh, for these issues that had probably helped us to, to create the, the US-China tech tensions that we now see. There's been a few small bilateral efforts. He in Singapore has really helped to spearhead them, I think. Uh, but we need to do more. And, and on a similar vein, uh, Case Winburn, former European parliamentarian now at, at KPMG, she talked about this growing focus in EU discussions about digital sovereignty, and um, A great quote uh, Stefan Ingvers uh, lent was that the world needs to get on and set international standards and that we have done this before on things like agreeing around the world how long a metre is, although, as he quickly pointed out, um, except for the United States. So, international connectivity... Oh, oh, (laughs) now. (laughs) So, international connectivity, um, modernising the regulatory framework, and that both mirrors some of those international connectivity issues, but also in in more domestic contexts, and The three others I'll run through quickly, um, the, the criticality of digital identity and how that's really become a foundational technology, in particular for helping to support SMEs that need to operate in the new digital economy, the ethical use of data and how that can be a competitive differentiator for banks and insurers, um, and I think also the emphasis on the role of, of artificial intelligence and its, its role in society and how we are perhaps at an inflection point where, depending on whether we use this for good or for bad, depending on whether we use it to embed existing biases or to offer uh, the opportunity of a reset. And I mentioned those three themes there of digital identity, ethical use of data, and and AI's inflection point very quickly, because I think those really mirrored a lot of the discussions that we had in DC FinTech Week, and which we'll we'll probably elaborate on a
0: bit further. That's really interesting that so much of that conversation that you're hearing, and and obviously that we heard it um, at DC FinTech Week, has to do with Figuring out a way to get people on the same page with certain kinds of standards and expectations, perhaps uh, in in part due to the fact that when you're dealing with a digital economy that goes across borders, it's really hard otherwise, you know, to to, to really galvanize um, all kinds of economic uh, relationships without certain, again, standards, rules of the road, expectations. Um, uh, Conan, what what about you? What what were you struck with uh, from the IIF uh, conversations? I think those were, you know, Brad ran through the
2: the main issues that popped up, but uh, a few you know additional related points are the blurring lines between different areas and that's something that we saw in DC Fintech Week as well and you know you see what's money what's payments, what's identity, all getting sort of mashed up. Um, and in the regulatory space, I think particularly for the U.S., um, that uh, idea that things aren't staying neatly in their boxes or lanes anymore. There are new institutions, uh, new practices, and COVID uh, accelerating this digital transformation, really setting some of these things in, um, has, has really revealed that this is um, you know, the way forward. And uh, the world needs to catch up a little bit. So I think that question of regulation catching up and modernizing is a really critical one um, that cut across a lot of the sessions at the IF. I also think you, you heard, you know, industry fairly, you know, some uh, folks are coming out of the COVID crisis having seen that their investments in digital transformation have really paid off. Um, They're in a good position and they're in a good position to move forward. Those who may have held back a little bit um, now are facing parallel challenges where they might have some economic headwinds and market headwinds at the same time that they're trying to play catch up on the digital front. And that might just be really, really difficult uh, moving forward. And I think that's true of of whole national markets, uh, not just individual companies.
0: So Brad, I mean, uh, that's, you know, we've heard about this question of digital transformation, you know, the blurring of lines, standard setting, all of this stuff, uh, obviously gets back to your original uh, comment and the observation that was made uh, at the IIF about the need for a new sort of digital Bretton Woods. Uh, Here in Washington, D.C., we actually do have the Bretton Woods institutions, the IMF and the World Bank. And they also had their annual meetings in this midst of FinTech weeks. Uh, Was there anything that you heard coming out of those discussions uh, in terms of overlaps or, for that matter, disconnects uh, between, again, the the Bretton Woods international institutions and, and industry conversations at IIF?
1: Probably not so much a, a disconnect, but you know, probably some subtleties in, in where the emphasis is. Uh, I think uh, the discussions at the IIF were, were obviously more customer-centric and that probably reflects what you would expect from hearing from the industry leaders. Uh, we probably had a bit more focus about the challenges and success factors in how firms transform form themselves. Um, over at the IMF and the World Bank, um, you know, obviously they had uh, probably a stronger flavour on the central bank perspective. And, uh, and in particular, about the progress of the central bank community in, uh, in developing on, on CBDCs. And uh, obviously, the events were accompanied by a number of releases, not only the FSB's paper on stable coins, but you know, we saw the, the Bank of Japan and a number of the other leading uh, central banks in the, uh, the consortia that's been exploring these issues, uh, putting out a few releases. Um, it does seem that, that more of the central bank community is, is headed in that direction. Um, we did have an interesting discussion uh, on our program around that topic and around the future of money with Stefan Ingvers and with uh, Libra CEO Stuart Levy. Probably my key takeaway from that was actually from, from Charlotte Hogg, the, the Europe uh, CEO of Visa. And she posed the point about you know what do, what do consumers or what do citizens actually want from money or from payments? And I thought she made a really insightful observation that it, it varies a lot depending on the use case, depending on the situation. And her examples were that, that you know if I'm running to catch the train and I'm trying to buy a coffee on the way, then I really want speed. But if I'm trying to book, book a, a holiday or a vacation, particularly in the world that we're in at the moment, I really want to know that it's refundable or revocable. Um, so I thought that was a really uh, insightful and, and important point that, that Charlotte made um, on that discussion. Probably the other thing that, that the IMF uh, obviously puts a big emphasis on is around some of the aspirations with financial inclusion. Uh, and we actually explored this a bit further a month earlier when we had the IAF digital interchange in September. And I'm struck by the point that uh, the outgoing chairman at CIB Egypt, uh, Hisham al Arab, made, which is about the, um, the opportunities of changing the, the cost economics of how you support customers as you shift the mindset. And that you need to move from that mindset of, of branches and of bricks and mortar on which, but on which point, really, a lot of customers are just uneconomic, um, and particularly those that are in sparsely populated areas or remote areas. And that once you make the mind shift, uh, mindset shift from branches to devices, uh, focusing on on mobile technology, mobile channels, then there's so many more customers that suddenly become economic and profitable for you. And that this is a really powerful way of extending that reach. So perhaps putting that together with the digital identity topic that I, I touched on earlier. That's one that, that uh, we emphasised in, in our September program and I think the IMF gave it a big focus uh, last month as well.
2: And as you said, I think it cut across all of the forums, this question of money evolving, payments evolving. What is the role of the central bank in the public sector? How do you tap in and continue to have innovation driven from the private sector? And I think we'll continue to see a lot of uh, discussion movement in this space um, going forward as governments and central banks uh, revisit what should they be providing as a public good, Um, versus how do they keep that open innovation platform. And, you know, Chris at DC FinTech Week, you had some of the voices we've had at IF forums and um, IMF forums as well. So when you think about uh, uh, Sir John Cunliffe and uh, Cecilia Cecilie Kingsley from Riggs Bank and others and really how they're um, trying to balance what are the values that we're trying to build into this new form of money and who should be doing what, you know, that's a, a critical theme that um, was in all three forums and I think we'll carry through for a while.
1: So, so, so Chris, I want to. Uh, we should pivot to talk about DC Fintech Week in just a moment, but before we do, Obviously, these events, the the IIF, the IMF and World Bank, the flurry of FSB papers, they kind of set the table for you a little bit in the week leading up to, to DC FinTech Week. And perhaps if I can ask you, what stood out for you over that period of the IIF, the IMF, the FSB papers before we come to FinTech Week?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know... I saw uh, the continuation and acceleration of different kinds of trends, right? You know, on the one hand, what you noticed was, and what you've seen certainly over the last couple of months, was this focus on COVID, and and what does really this acceleration in terms of demand on the demand side uh, for let's call it a digital transformation? What what does that mean uh, on the supply side? And you know what I've seen uh, and what I'm, I'm noticing is that. Uh, how that conversation plays out is one that's that plays out depending on the uh, starting point for many of the different countries, right? Uh, both in terms of where they are on the development curve, and I think you saw that and you heard that um, uh, certainly on the sidelines of some of the IMF and World Bank meetings, uh, but 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 also sort of the the political starting point. Um, you know, how are the domestic uh, actors? Um, you know, uh, relating to one another and, and internationally, and I think that uh, particularly when you move to a context like that in the United States, where you have um, a more disaggregated uh, sort of uh, uh, system, um, uh, where even when it comes to questions uh, like monetary fares, you, you you do still have the regional uh, banks with certain kinds of opinions and, and different um, initiatives that they're launching, combined with obviously the kinds of questions that the board. Uh, is trying to tackle, not to mention the other market regulators, that when you bring that emphasis to the table, uh, even in the international setting, uh, the market actors are recognizing it and they're seeing it. And uh, that also triggers then, in turn, a set of different considerations depending, again, sort of where they sit. Um, and, and, and I think that that's in and of itself is a kind of sociologically interesting thing to watch in real time, especially where the need for a coherent policy and technological response has never been greater.
2: Chris, in a minute, I want to talk about um, the DC FinTech Week focus on inclusivity, which I thought was really stood out for me and was interesting. Um, but quickly before we get to that, I'm um, Curious. For for me, another theme that stood out was regulation was sort of at the core um, of this week's, uh, of this year's edition. And I think whether it was uh, fintech companies that were really focused rather than on serving narrow customer need, but instead focused on being a B2B uh, support to help big institutions be much better at connecting and serving their customers. Um, So reg tech solutions, uh, compliance built in, and sort of the, um, origin and design of products. Uh, so that was an interesting standout and definitely sounds different than, you know, the 10 years ago Silicon Valley move fast, break things, and, you know, compliance
0: is something we'll worry about later approach. Um, did that stand out for you as well? It stood out uh, in more ways than one. You know, that particular conversation, particularly as the week went on, was one where you actually started to see regional differences in the United States. Um, uh, Certainly, you know, to hear Silicon Valley talking more about regulation is in and of itself interesting. I I think, um, and towards the end of the week, you know, we started to really get into fascinating questions as to why that's the case. Um, You know, uh, not just from a regular, you know, not only what are the regulatory drivers, but when you think about all of these fintech companies, they're getting bigger, uh, they're going public when they're going public, and when they're getting bigger, they're attracting more scrutiny uh, from Washington D.C. and from policymakers. Not to mention that going public process is one that you know en- en- enables people to kick the tires and look under the hood at, at, to a degree that um, you know small private companies just aren't necessarily used to. And 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 you see. Um, you know, uh, more established industries uh, from time to time on the East Coast who are more familiar with regulation, you know the the larger banks in New York and like you know who live and and know all too well uh, washington d c, you know, having a, a kind of a perspective about regulation and its role in financial regulation. And then you're seeing Silicon Valley, which is sort of trying to adapt to this. But they're coming up to speed in a different time, in a different moment, um, at times, with a different suite of products, and you know that conversation, the regulation question, in and of itself, uh, uh, you know, doesn't sound the same, uh, even where the attention is certainly becoming greater. Um, I, I think uh, just, just just to get back to a, a comment that Brad had made about the the CBDC conversation at the IMF. You know, uh, when you saw people like uh, Benoit uh, Correa and C- uh, Celia uh, Skingsley and John Cunliffe and uh, Christian Carlo on a panel on CBDCs, uh, this question of values was really interesting. You know, when they were saying uh, ultimately, how we build out a CBDC is not a question about technology, it's about the values of the issuing country. Right? And I, I was struck by that uh, for lots of different reasons, but even in the context of this regional question, right? I mean, different parts of the world uh, and different parts of the United States sort of um, uh, sometimes prioritize different kinds of things. Um, and, you know, there's a kind of analog where you say, okay, what is the interoperability of a CBDC in a world where countries have different values, Right? even in the United States domestically you know different pockets of the world you know may prioritize different kinds of things and so what is the glue that kind of keeps it all together and 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 you know that that kind of conversation and how it would play out on issues like inclusion um, financial access sort of you know what what are the moral, um, guideposts and expectations, the social expectations that should be, you know be expected um, for fintech entrepreneurs, products, and funders, you know, kind of evolved over the course of the of the week, and it was just um, uh, really interesting seeing that play out.
1: So, so Chris, we've we've jumped straight into the minutia, really, of, of some of the specific bits that were probably great focal points within DC Fintech Week, but of course, you actually managed a a magnificent four-day marathon uh, across the whole program. And perhaps as you step back and reflect now, you know, besides those that we've prompted you on, what else stood out for you as as major headlines or major themes across the four days?
0: Well, you you know, I I think that... there was a sort of consistency of of messages over at FinTech Week. I mean, it, it is a very sort of nerdy people, uh, get together where people kind of get together in a kind of a safe space, but, but to sort of show off, you know, what are their top um, kinds of, 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 of concerns. You know, we've talked about regulation and standard setting uh, and we've talked about, um, you know, just this, this question of values um, and, 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 what I think again, caught my eye the the most was that when you talk about the question of fintech, no matter where you are in the ecosystem, whether or not you're talking about cryptocurrencies, whether or not um, you're talking about mobile lending, whether or not you're talking about crowdfunding, um you know there's there's always this um, underlying theme or aspiration of um, efficiency and access, right? That that by introducing new kinds of technologies, whether it be a CBDC or or, or, or like that, you're ultimately enabling people, right? Um, now now, how to get there? You know, from a regulatory standpoint, is is obviously going to be a matter of some debate and 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 uh, disagreement. Um, uh, you know, what I've saw with industry was, um, or I, I won't even say industry, but what I saw by some of the participants who were coming from the private market was really digging down deep into asking themselves, well, what does access mean? What exactly are regulators trying to do to achieve that access? And then sort of what are the interesting spillover effects? So I'll give you one example. Um, I, you know, one of the, the really sort of interesting uh, comments, and I, I, I don't know if it was sort of meant to be a kind of direct comment, but but it certainly caught my eye, was from um, uh, Ripple's CEO of uh, Brad Garlinghouse, where he had mentioned, you know, the fact that uh, there's been some sort of comments coming out of the SEC and the CFTC as to whether or not Bitcoin and Ether are securities and there have been declarations basically from key officials that they are not and he he made a very interesting observation he said, well in effect by identifying those particular two crypto assets and by not identifying any other uh, crypto assets as not being uh, securities and and sort of in his view sort of leaving them, well, excuse a pun, in the Ether, leaving them sort of uh, in this sort of regulatory purgatory, uh, that in effect ends up being a kind of a subsidy for any projects in the Bitcoin and Ether space. And, and it sort of uh, would create a drag on the cost of capital for, for projects outside of those two domains. Now, what I thought was, was was interesting was really the side comment that he made, which was, oh, and by the way, by identifying Bitcoin, and, and really nothing else other than than ether you're actually contributing to climate change uh and to the extent to which you know uh, uh Bitcoin mining degrades the environment and you know I I just thought that was an interesting I you know it was just not a direction I expected him him to really go uh but it was interesting because it it, it dug a little bit deeper into this question about um you know regulatory clarity which you know was a big issue every single day, um, inclusion and access and, and, the, and, the, and the like, but also sort of other social goals and, and, and what were um, possible repercussions of different regulatory strategies and, and the lack thereof. And, 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 you know, those kinds of nuggets were, were really found uh, throughout uh, the week. Chris, what were your motivations driving the inclusiveness conversation during DC FinTech Week? You've talked
2: about it in all kinds of ways, but obviously how you did it, showcasing inclusion in different ways, was really something you don't see too often in finance or technology conferences.
0: This is an important year, you know, and, and uh, it's an important year because it, we have a, an important conversation, you know, in, in the country about, uh, you know, how do we want our financial system to work? And that conversation, whether or not it, it it's obviously following um, the death of George Floyd and other kinds of social events, that, that kind of conversation is one where fintech has an interesting sort of uh, narrative. You know, the, the very fact that uh, so much of it is built on democratizing financial services and innovation and invention and sort of bringing people from the outside in, you know, again, uh, whether or not it be crypto, microfinance, uh, 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 crowdfunding, or the like. And, and so I, I, I wanted to make to put that a little bit more front and center. And um, uh, I was delighted to see just how many of both the regulators as well as the market participants were extremely delighted to engage. I mean, uh, we had Chairman uh, Heath Tarbert from CFTC really being pretty... Vocal about, you know, what does inclusivity mean from the policymaking standpoint? How do you uh, improve inclusivity in terms of personnel uh, decisions? Um, and it was actually a theme that was echoed in different, in a different way um, from FinCEN's director, Ken Blanco, um, from a substantive standpoint. You know, this question of making sure that the that our financial services uh, industry works to the benefit of everyone, you know, we had programming throughout the week, you know, um, sort of indirectly, say, with, you know, stable, our stable coin stable to sort of think, well, you know, it, to what degree does it constitute money? You know, how much volatility is there in these crypto assets? Are they going to serve the kinds of purposes that uh, people um, uh, need to, uh, a great conversation Brad was involved in uh, on AI and bias uh, in, in terms of, of different operations uh, for financial services, what's the role of big data. Um, and then later on in, in the week, you know, we we tried to, um, uh, particularly on our fourth day, well, actually on our third and fourth day, I mean, we had uh, Gene Ludwig uh, from Promontory talking about the American dream. Where does FinTech fit in terms of that American dream Um, uh, uh, and then the last day, focusing on all kinds of areas as to how much diversity is there in venture capital funding. Um, What is the mission of a company? To what degree do companies um, have a mission uh, beyond uh, just profit-making? And even where their mission is primarily profit-making, to what degree does looking out for the wider public interest actually allow you to maximize your profits, you know, it, you know, having that conversation and then digging into questions about, um, you know, geography, you know, w- what happens to opportunities for funding businesses and entrepreneurs um, for people who are not on the coast. And, you know, uh, we had the CEO of, of, of Move, um, uh, Wade Arnold, who started a number of big businesses, and he's now working with Bain and um, uh, 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 other uh, VCs. Uh, in really innovative ways, but you know, he, here he is in Iowa, and he's having that conversation. How does that conversation on geography intersect with conversations on demographics? And then finally, we ended with uh, conversations on what does it mean for women to build both uh, financial equity in startups? As well as sort of career and professional equity, and we had an all-star lineup uh, involving, you know, the CEO of Uber Payments of Heather Childs. We had Mary Ellen Iskandarian, CEO of of Women's World Banking. We had um, uh, people who have started up multiple businesses before they were thirty, and 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 having that kind of uh, conversation weaved in through different kinds of contexts. I think, helped to really move the ball forward in a way that a very different group of people, you know, from the regulators to the market participants and the like, you know, could really engage. And and, and again, I mean, it, it was throughout the week, including conversations with uh, Patrick uh, Jirogi, you know, the head of uh, the Central Bank of Kenya, talking about how M-Pesa has changed the world, what does it mean for financial inclusion, and carrying that conversation throughout the week.
1: And I think it's it's a timely discussion to be having, as you mentioned, with events this year, but even on a broader scale, you know, one of the themes that I thought really came through, you, you mentioned the the panel that we had on uh, ethics and bias with artificial intelligence. And similarly, a week earlier in the IF annual meeting, we had a very similar discussion about this notion of the inflection point, the crossroads for machine learning and artificial intelligence. And, uh, and Tracy Frey of, of Google gave a, a great articulation of you know, 200 years of, of discriminatory outcomes uh, that, have, have, uh, that have harmed African-Americans financially and how we now come to a point today where all of that history, which has happened without artificial intelligence, without sophisticated analytics, it's been human decisions and human institutionalized actions, that's all now embedded in the historical data sets, which you might pick up and run your artificial intelligence on. And so it's, it's a really critical inflection point right now as to whether we embed all of the discriminatory actions of the past uh, and really embed them forever as, as the basis upon which machine learning and AI runs, or whether we seize the moment of using these technologies to perhaps offer a, a reset away from
0: where we've been in the past. Yeah, you know, you know, on the sidelines, you know, we had a a, a bit of a conversation with Michael Kearns, who's the uh, uh, author of the very well-known book, um, The Ethical Algorithm. He's a sort of an academic data scientist over at the University of Pennsylvania, and you know, having that conversation on how do you construct algorithms to achieve really a lot of the moral. Uh, ambitions and and business ambitions that you need uh, and that you'd want to have is is really a critical conversation and it's one that is is becoming more of of of, of or coming into focus more for for regulators as, as as well and I think that you know it's one of those interesting areas where if you're a business you want to have the most powerful and accurate and fair algorithm that you can get and and how do you do that when you're working. You know, as an actor in history, you know, and and that's a a really tough question. And you know, you know, as as I said, guys, you know, this 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 is on the one end. There's this political moment, and 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 you know, there's this weight of history, and and you know, we'll have certainly uh, more opportunities to talk about that and the political ramifications um, uh, later. But 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 you know, there is and there are really sort of you know, this is a global story, the global story of both regulation. Uh, the global story of of inclusion, um, as we said, you know, this question of digital transformation. I mean, one of the greatest or, or really fascinating uh, points that was made, I think, on on day two, uh, 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 was this question of is you know what is the difference between digital transformation and digital reengineering. Right, you know what is truly transformative, and what is just sort of um, re-engineering things in a way that's that are not necessarily new and not necessarily going to bear uh, deeper kinds of fruit. But that's that's a conversation that's happening, Um, uh, and 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 what do these transformations mean for? Financial regulation. I mean, you know, you, you see Ant Financial setting its sights pretty explicitly on the Basel Committee and, 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 and firms like Ripple mentioning that they may go overseas. I mean, w- what do you two see uh, in terms of where fintech stands globally, especially after watching all these conversations during our fintech weeks?
1: Look, I think it comes back to a bit of the, the themes we were mentioning earlier about the, the need for international connectivity and cooperation, as well as for the modernisation of some parts of the, the policy framework, which it goes beyond regulation. It's also tax and trade and, and others. The Ant one was really interesting. You know, Obviously, Ant's been enormously successful. Um, they're doing a lot of revolutionary and I think really genuinely impressive stuff, um, including a lot of stuff that they're doing in partnership with banks. Um, their IPO prospectus, I think, was really quite revealing in showing the scale of some of the transactions they do with Chinese banks. Um, Kona and I touched on this a bit in episode seventy-six on FRT, where we talked about how AliPay had paid forty-seven billion RMB to the banks in fees to get money out of AliPay wallets, and that ninety-eight uh, percent of the funding for Ant's loans came from the Chinese banks. But also, there's been a lot of work done uh, together in partnership with Standard Chartered on the remittances joint venture for the, the remittances corridor from Hong Kong to Philippines. So, there's a lot happening um, by Ant, but also by Ant with others. Um, so, I was a bit surprised at the, the very overt attack on the bail Committee. Um, I like the comment that Torsten klein um posted on LinkedIn that there was a bit of hubris to it, perhaps. Um, It's true that those regulatory frameworks, you know, do need to modernise. I think it's true that the nature of regulatory mandates can at times steer regulators away from innovation, Um, but the bowl Committee plays a really important role in facilitating international cooperation and coordination, and I think we really need that. Uh, It's a theme that that came through in those other discussions I mentioned, you know, Ravi Menon's point about needing a new Bretton Woods or, or similar. Um, the points about how critical cloud is and the fact that we need data connectivity across borders. So I don't think we can have sort of anyone trying to operate in – I don't think it's helpful if anyone tries to operate in isolation. And so I think we do need something that is like ball or, or something that is BAL-like um, might be a better way of putting it. Um, we do need to link up across sectors more um, and maybe that's about less looking at banking in a vacuum Uh, but more in terms of how banking is integrated into the ecosystem, into a competitive marketplace with tech and telcos, as well as with insurance and securities.
2: And you do see Ball trying to uh, upgrade and get ready to serve a new role in sort of this new world. So you see, you had Benoit Curé in one of your sessions and uh, we've engaged with him quite a bit and the innovation hubs that they're launching are a good example of how Oslo is trying to connect to what are these new issues, what's our role in a data economy, what's our role as money changes and evolves and CBDCs enter the market. Um, so I think that they are you know, investing the time and attention to um, be relevant in the new world as, as a lot of these regulatory frameworks are really tested and stressed by the
0: disruption of technology. Guys, as we do every year, this was a blast. And thanks so much for all the help with podcasts and, of course, with the conference.
1: Congratulations on a a magnificent DC FinTech Week once again. And thanks for the opportunity to be part of it. Appreciate it.
0: Well, the fourth annual DC FinTech Week is in the books. And what a FinTech Week it was. Not only did we attract some of the world's finest minds to talk all matters fintech from artificial intelligence and machine learning to venture capital funding to crypto, but the gathering took place against the backdrop of the annual World Bank and IMF meetings, as well as the IIF's annual meetings, all where fintech once again took special prominence. And, thinking back, I can't help but be struck by how many things have changed in the last year and, well, how many things haven't. Facebook, and for that matter Libra, are still in the news. But the world's attention has shifted considerably from crypto writ large to digital identities and central bank currencies. All the while, big data's implications for finance are becoming more apparent as are calls for more ethical deployments of it. And finally, a new conversation about equity and inclusion continues to evolve, transforming the to do lists of venture capitalists and regulators alike as racial justice and a pandemic leave their marks on the very social fabric of America. If things keep a pace as I suspect, the FinTech Week dialogues next year will be busy and as needed as ever. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer, D-R. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.